The battle of wizards and warriors continues with iron swords. The evil wizard Malkil will take the shape of the earth, wind, water, and fire. Farewell! The fate of the world is in your hands! You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Willett. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience, I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Uh, Hi everybody, how you doing? Thanks for coming back to the show. This week's guest is Noel Burgos. Noel is a Spanish piercer who moved to the UK and is now working in London. Uh, has a really good multicultural perspective on uh, sharing information between different communities. And uh, I'd also like to point out that Noel has produced a Spanish language podcast called Needle Vision. So I know that uh, piercing is, is international. If uh, Spanish is your first language rather than English, definitely give Needle Vision a, a chance. Or if you have strong language skills and Spanish is a, a second or third language for you, definitely listen to Needle Vision. A lot of different piercers from a lot of different communities around the world are maybe not serviced ideally by just English-speaking instructors, English-speaking podcasts, English-speaking organizations. So that's why it's so important to support the work of uh, other communities out there, other organizations like LBP, like APPE in Spain, uh, all these different organizations that really support the Spanish-speaking community of of body piercers out there. And uh, Noel's podcast is, is really good if you get a chance to listen to that. He was also selected as one of the scholars for the APP conference this year. Kind of bittersweet on that one because conference has been canceled, but uh, that will roll over to next year. So Noel has definitely uh, earned that that chance to to get out to conference. You know, it's not going to be this year, but it'll definitely be uh, next year. Uh, really one for history and documentation. We talk a lot about some of the different uh, collections that he's trying to put together, some of the different uh, translation work that he's been doing to assist uh, Sean Porter in Sacred Debris, and uh, just a really nice person with a really good perspective. So let's go ahead and get into uh, this this interview with Noel. Uh, I'll be back a little bit more at the end to talk about some other uh, free online webinar type sessions I'll be doing over the next few weeks. Um, so I'm Nahuel Burgos. Um, my Instagram is Nahuel underscore Vita underscore Bodymore. Um, I work at Maria Chas Liberty in London, and I guess that's it. Yeah. And you are also one of the uh, one of the scholars that was chosen for the APP conference this year. Yes, um, I'm one of the lucky scholars. Well, lucky and lucky. <laughs> lucky unlucky scholars. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm really happy about that as well. Yeah, I was truly looking after meet everyone, but well, I guess it will be next year. Yeah, I'm happy that the scholars will be just more postponed than than canceled. But I'm sure it's a a disappointment to lots of people that there won't be an APP conference this year. Myself included. I'm sure you too. Yes. Um, the main thing is like. I, when all this started, we I think we all suspect that this was going to happen. Um, kind of, we already knew, but well, I just have I'm happy as well that it's going to be next year with hopefully a better situation and being able to hack people and all that, you know. Yeah, I I I think that if there had been some version of conference this year, uh, there could have been. There could have been education, there could have been jewelry companies showing their new products, but it wouldn't have been the same thing. It's community that's, I think, the most important aspect of of these conferences, and without that, it it just wouldn't be the same thing. Yeah, so what? It will have to be next year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not gone forever, just gone for this year. Yes. So what was the uh, what was the thought process like for you going into the scholarship program? Because I, I think that a lot of people look at it as a big opportunity and uh, maybe a big life event, and then that's kind of shifted around a little bit because you you won the scholarship uh, weeks and weeks and weeks ago, and you were kind of told like, well, don't post anything just yet because we need to, you know, here wait for initial uh, 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 official announcements from from the board. So what was that like going from? being selected and just kind of having to, to wait and, and see what might happen? So um, it was, a, I mean, other than the planning the trip and all that, it was, 
I mean, I did not have any issue with not being able to tell to the people because it's not something that I did plan to do, to do a public announcement or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like the Angno, like after all the work, not all the work, but after all this um, process, I'm getting excited and excited and knowing that I'm going to go. So start researching and looking for videos and looking for um for different articles and reading all that and being like in my mind saying, oh, I need to be there, I need to be there. Like now that I know that I'm going, I'm really excited. But well, I think we all knew it. So it's not, since the beginning, I already kind of prepared myself for it. Mm -hmm. And well, my was being much more realistic than me, like maybe even if it happens, you should not travel and all that. So we kind of knew it, but it's all right. I mean, I'm happy that it's happening anyway this year, next year. I don't think anyone was surprised, uh, you know, saddened, but not not surprised. So with with you being uh, uh, at home for, for a while longer, um, are you focusing on anything in particular? Because I know that you can kind of go a few different ways. You can just try to relax and focus on yourself. Uh, some people are getting very energized thinking about the, the new policies and things they can do when they can go back to work. Other people are working on other projects for the industry. So what are you doing with your free time? So um, at the beginning, it was really like, yeah, let's let's be produ- productive. Let's do a lot of things. So I think the first three weeks, two weeks of lockdown, I did a lot of things that I had uh, on mind for months. Um, I started a project of a podcast um, with interviews, mainly talking about history. Uh, I mean, of course, talking about piercers in general, but talking with a few piercers that I think have been really important in the Latin American and Spanish community. So I started with that. We have already five chapters and a couple more to edit. Um, I did a couple of classes of history, uh, one contemporary history, one for the uh, Spanish community and Latin American community, and another one in English. Um, and then I have been reading and doing uh, tiny things, but the last few weeks I have been trying to step away a little bit of so much piercing stuff, um, enjoying some Xbox and some friends online and all that. Yeah. Much more productivity these last couple of weeks. I'm happy about it anyway. I think it's really. I think it's a difficult time because piercers uh, tend to focus on a project and, and carry themselves through with, with that project. But now, when you don't have maybe a firm date as to when you go back to work, it can be difficult trying to maintain that energy the whole time. So it's good to to step away and focus on yourself and focus on your friends a little bit too. Yeah, um, well, you know, we don't know yet when it's going to happen. Uh, yesterday, our president here in UK talk a little bit about what is going to be the situation, but we don't really have a proper date. And as we already all know, like tattoo and piercing shops are never part of this, how do you say? Um, they don't write it. Like, hey, tattoo shops and piercing shop, shops can open from this day. So yeah. it's not that we can get a lot of information from that anyway. Yeah, we're we're definitely not a priority industry when it comes to all these different phases and, and policies. Hopefully, uh, we can we can find our own place and keep our own policies uh, strict and, and keep everyone safe. But yeah, I don't expect to hear too many guidelines from from my local government either. No. Oh well, I mean, at least we know that we we're not opening for a few more weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So so talk to me a little bit more about your podcast. That sounds exciting. I, I feel that. Uh, a lot of how the professional piercing industry is presented is very American-centric, very Western, uh, very English-centric. So maybe there isn't as many good resources for Spanish-speaking piercers. So talk to me a little bit more about your podcast because it sounds really exciting. Uh, so, I mean, I always I have been listening to your podcast on Real Talk um, for a long time. Um, and the last couple of years, I have been doing a lot of research about history of contemporary, of, of states and UK and all that. Um, of course, there is a much, there are, there is more history about it than the Latin American community and um, all that. But I feel that 
I never got to, I was never able to reach that, that information when I was in Spain, uh, mainly because the language barrier, um, because I was not able to really speak properly English a few years ago. So I never really got into researching all that. And well, since I'm, I have been in London for uh, three years now, of course my English got better um, and I'm able to research more and more. And I found that there is a lot of information that people in these communities are missing um, because of the language barrier. So I thought like, well, maybe we, we should do something about it. And we have been translating some books as well and some articles with a couple of friends. But yeah, I think the the main thing for me was to bring this kind of content to the um, Spanish or Latin American community because there are always excuses about, no, it's because I don't speak English and all that. <laughs> As well, because of that, I have the problem in thinking like, should I encourage people to learn English so they can travel to other conferences so they can listen to all these podcast and read these books or should I just do it easy for them and give their, give it to them in Spanish but I think it's a little bit of both of those things so so yeah we're mainly my main interest is talking about history so I'm talking with um, a couple of piercers that have been in the industry for a long time but yeah it's not as deep as it can be with um, with the American community or British community but I think it's it's working and I'm happy with it so so yeah, it's looking interesting. Well, that's fantastic. Where where can people find this stuff online? Um, the podcast is called Needle Visium, um, and you can find it in Spotify and all the other platforms of podcasts that I don't really know the names. <laughs> yeah, there's, there seems like there's a hundred of them now. Yeah, like Apple Podcasts and iTunes and all those things. And yeah, um, the main thing is it's in Spanish, so not sure if a lot of people is going to understand it. But yeah, I, uh, the captures are about one hour and we talk with the first APP member in Spain already, some of the first um, members of LBP as well from Mexico and Chile. Um, yeah, these people have a lot to say and I think we're missing all that information. Mm, I agree. Uh, One person that I've wanted to get on my podcast for a long time, and it just hasn't lined up because I'm, I'm so rarely in the same place that they are is Rata. So have you done, have you done an interview with Rata yet? Uh, No, no, not yet. I think that would be a great one. That's, that's one one, I would love to. uh, As well. We had all these uh, massive support of the piercing community the last couple of months with the lives and all that. The, um, the Spanish community really got together and they have been doing a lot of talks online and Raja did like three or four. Oh, cool. <laughs> so I just want to, everyone forget a little bit about what Raja told a couple of months and then I will bring it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, I have a nice list of people that I want to talk with. That's and great. a lot of people is happy to talk, so yeah. Are you getting um, are you getting much support from the different organizations like APPE or LBP, UK APP, APP, anything like that? Are you getting any support? Not really. I did not really ask for, and because as well, it's something that I want to do, like how to say it, without having to rush or anything like that. Just sure. doing because I'm enjoying it. I don't I don't feel that I really want or need. I don't know. Maybe in the future, yes. Sure. But I want to do it so I want to do it kind of small and and yeah I mean it will be nice but not that I don't know somehow how they could support me maybe doing some advertisement but not yet not yet I'm mm. still something really new so well it, it's good to take your time and, and grow slowly and just produce the content that that you think the community needs rather than you know forcing something on just a release date so you seem like you're pretty attuned to the the history side of of body piercing. Uh, has that always been an interest? Have you always been into history and anthropology, or was that more once you got into piercing as a career, you started to see all the history there? I mean, I I, I wasn't really never a, like a study person, <laughs> so not that I was really into like study history and all that. Uh, but um, definitely the like. A couple of years ago, I was really looking into it. Uh, definitely Sean Porter and the work that he is doing with Sacred Debris really inspired me a lot. Um, last year in LBP, I fell in love with Paul King Talks. 
So um, I decided uh, I need to in, to I have to investigate a little bit more about it and and yeah it just like my hardcore research have been the last year mainly and starting collect books and all that but yeah it, it's so many information that we're missing and and I don't want that to get lost as well so a big thing that that Paul King talks about often is you have to you have to document you have to document everything and I feel like uh, a lot of body piercers, uh, they they don't do that. So there are, there are piercers who have been working for ten years, twenty years, and they don't really have uh, much documentation, pictures, videos, histories of who they were working with, and, and different shops that that came and went. So it's it's really important for people like you and others to to document some of that history and, and share it with the next generation. Yeah, and as well, all these like old magazines, and um, maybe not that old, but at some point, it's going to get lost somewhere in a basement of someone else, some ra- of a random person, and I don't want that to get lost as well. So, <laughs> doing a little bit of an investment, trying to find magazines and books of interest, um, and as well, it's all always that. Like, sure, I I always wanted to do something with that, like with those magazines, maybe scan them and publish them in a blog or something like that. But it's always a little bit difficult. Like, should I give all this information for free or not? Uh, not about charging for it, but more about the work that I have been doing, researching and trying to find all those things and all that. So I don't know. I don't know where is the limit to hmm. publish all these things. Well, I think the, the important the important first step is just to try to gather it and collect it. And then I think uh, Paul King and, and others that I've seen, uh, the, the body piercing archive, sometimes it's difficult to figure out, well, how do we deliver this information now that we've collected it, now that we've documented, what, what do we do with it? So I think that's a similar, a similar scenario that a lot of other people are into. Yeah, and for example, talking with Paul King sometimes, I'm like, hey, I found this. And he's like, yeah, I have three. And I'm like, what? <laughs> how... How I don't know that people have three of these things, you know what I mean? Like, how is this going on? I don't know how to say it. How is, uh, let me think. How are these publish pu- publishments um, important, but nobody knows about it? And right. uh, when I do the work of, fi- of finding it and reading and reading to find a two pair of things, and then I discovered that people already know about it. So it's like, yeah, it's like, oh, I mean, I love that feeling as well. Like, yeah, I discovered something, but then someone is telling me, oh, I already knew about it. It's like, oh, no. Well, like, it's, how, it's... How did it take so long for me to find it? Yeah, there, there are a lot of different undiscovered things or rediscovered things in our industry. Like, um, uh, PFIQ is a good example for me. Like, yeah. there, there was a point where I knew PFIQ existed. I had never read one. I had never owned one before. And then people started talking about, you know growing collections and uh, showing off things, auctioning off things. And it's like, wow, I, I should have paid attention to this 15 years ago, 20 years ago when it was readily accessible. And now I have to kind of struggle and, and dig and lean on other people for their for their work of, of what they found because I, I kind of took it for granted for a long time, I think. Yeah, that's what, that's what I feel. I was born in the wrong <laughs> year because I wanted all those things. And now it's a little struggle to get all those magazines. But whenever I get one of those, I, I love it and I hide it a lot. <laughs> so have there have there been any body piercers that you've maybe rediscovered? People that were prolific or very important, especially to like the, the Latin community? Um, has there been anyone that you've maybe discovered that you want to, uh, to maybe share with people a bit more? Um, I mean, I have a list here of people that I want to research about. But I mean, definitely the, um, the BDSM community in... In United States and all that surrounding the piercing, um, it's something that I think there is a lot of information. And because all these people was documenting so many photos, um, it was they were documenting all of their works and all that. Um, I'm discovering a lot of that people, um, but yeah, no, no one, no one that is coming to my head right now. Hmm. Well, but sometimes it's difficult because there are just so many people out there. Yeah, that's and then I read a magazine and I find these people then that I am like, hmm, these faces sound familiar. Then I find it in another magazine of 20 years before or 20 years after. And I'm trying to connect all these things and it's a real struggle. 
So going from uh, Spanish-speaking community, Spanish-speaking career as a piercer, and then moving to London, working at Tash, and working with all those staff members there, uh, what has it been like seeing seeing the different piercer communities out there? Are you, are you trying to pull them together? Are you trying to just kind of share information from one community to the other? Um, I mean, definitely the Spanish community is growing a lot and a lot. The last couple of years, um, with the conference, definitely the whole situation is improving, and there are more, how do you say, it, proper seminars going on around Spain. Uh, and it's something that in UK has been going on for maybe just a couple of years before, not that much, I think. But um, but yeah, it, it's a different community. I will say that maybe the British community is more together, but when when the community is together face to face, I think the Spanish community is much more um, Mediterranean. I don't know if that's the way to explain it, like more close. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think there is a little bit of a difference in the community as well. Um, in UK, the people is more ready to spend a little bit more money in piercings, I think. Um, it's something like if you're, of course, I'm talking about London, but if you go in in the tube in London, you can see all kind of people with all kind of charges and all kind of piercings. And in Spain, it's not that much. Of course, it's getting much better, but I will say it's slightly more traditional in that aspect. So it's definitely different, um, difficult in Spain to get all those high-end jewelry companies to work but it's happening a lot and i think it's it's a um, good thing that we can take we have um as a spanish community we have the um, british community so close and i think we can learn a lot and a lot of nice pierces from spain have been in uk and always the british community having re have been really i think good with the Spanish piercers, I don't know how to say it, but it has been always really nice. Um, step by step, the community is growing a lot. I remember the first BMEX, well, the only BMEX that I have been, that I was like a completely external threat type piercer. <laughs> I don't know if that's the way of saying it. Um, I went there to the BMEX in Germany and I didn't know anyone. And there were like 25 Spanish piercers, and that was beautiful. I didn't know that there was such a thing as a Spanish community. Um, and I think that year as well, the British community was getting together to do the UK APP. So, I I really like the the BMX community because it's like it's very much a melting pot because it was the central hub for Europe, but also for for British piercers also. So you would get uh, these like little groups you would get the british piercers the german piercers the spanish piercers uh, all these different little people talking together and i i think um I, i've noticed that the the british community the the uk app community has been really welcoming to uh, different spanish piercers I, I see lots of spanish piercers doing guest spots in the uk um and and sharing information and i think it's because um, maybe Spain is kind of at a point where the UK was a few years ago, where you're you're growing and you're trying to create that market. It's not really there yet, but you know it's something that can be built. Yeah, no, definitely. And the highest standards are are definitely getting on point in Spain. There are a few studios that are working not just with APP standards, uh, but like, um, but working properly. You know, like mm -hmm. that studio where I would love to work. You know, um, so yeah, there are a few studios and a big community working together and growing together. And yeah, and the association, the, um, the conference of the Association of Spain sadly got cancelled this month as well. So this year I just got two conferences cancelled. <laughs> I, I guess everyone have a couple, but, um, but it was going to be the fourth year, I think, or the fifth year. And I remember the first meeting that they did, they were like 30 persons in a pub. And the next one, that was the proper conference, we were like 65 or something like that. And I think this year we were like 160 or something like that. And people, there was people that was not able to get in. So it's definitely growing a lot. And I think a lot of that is because of UK as well. So yeah. 
I think the UK has been a really fantastic uh, source of, of inspiration because for years I would talk to British piercers uh, and, you know, Scottish piercers, Irish piercers, and a lot of them would say like, well, you know, it, we can we can work safe, we can do good piercings, but I just don't think we're going to be able to build the same kind of industry that you see in the States just because of, you know, import problems and VAT and, and all those other challenges they have to deal with. But now... Um, they've had such such success with uh, with the British market that they've really been a source of inspiration for everybody else. So now you see uh, really strong piercers in Spain, in France, in Germany, in Scandinavia, all over. Um, and it's it's great to to see that, and it's also great to see that all those individual communities are all supporting each other. Yeah, and as well as I think because the state is a massive, let's say a continent somehow, uh, it's relatively easiest to connect everyone as a co- as a commune country but definitely it's really difficult to let's say do a, a european organization <laughs> with the same standards and different realities of each country so and as well as the um, the american association has been for 25 years so it's definitely not something that we can boil in in a couple of years but i think with all the information and all the supports is going to grow really, really fast. And it's already doing. Like in the, for example, in the British group of uh, Facebook, um, I think it's called Piercer, UK Piercers Professionals or something like that. Mm-hmm. There are like 100 members and all the community is really active. I'm never text writing anything there, but I'm always looking there and reading. Um, there are 700 members and that's a lot for wow. I think for UK. Um, so yeah, I think everyone should, all the countries in Europe should learn a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I would say that they're definitely, they're definitely showing leadership, but it's not a selfish kind of leadership because they're not saying this is a, a British organization for British piercers only. You know, we're happy to have piercers from anywhere else in the world. And I think a lot of people look at that that UK piercer forum on Facebook as. Uh, a really good source of information, and just like you said, it's it's very conversational. People actually talk about questions and and issues. They don't just fight and argue. Yes, no, definitely. That's really cool. Um, so what 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 other things do you think you're going to be working on um, with with your time off? Like, are you trying to? Um, are you trying to make new contacts online? Are you trying to just go through your, your collection of, of physical items that you might have? Um, right now I'm translating um, another. Uh, Sean Porter is doing these kind of fanzines books. And I we already translated um, one of them uh, last year. And I'm translating the second one. It's I don't know how much I can talk about it. <laughs> but it's sure. from the 90s and all that. Um, I'm, I'm translating that. It's taking a lot of time. <laughs> I never thought translating was so difficult. <laughs> hmm. I, I really respect a, a lot of the the the, the Spanish speaking piercers that I know um, really tend to work super hard. J- just like you said, a few years ago, uh, your English skills might have been not as strong, uh, but now being able to to talk in multiple languages, think in multiple languages, translate between multiple languages, that's going to be hugely beneficial to multiple communities. Yeah, that's that's a good thing as well. Like, I, I had to do it. I, it was, or I talk with my customers, or I don't talk with my customers and I lose my job. So, so that, was the, that was the deal. But um, it's a little bit of what I was telling you about after, uh, before, sorry. It, like, should I give all this information to the people in Spanish or should I encourage them to learn English mm-hmm. or do a little bit of both? But, well, literalization is something that I'm enjoying a lot. And uh, as well, I get that information in my head much better because I have to read it and read it, read it and a thousand times to make sure that it's all right. So it's a nice way for me to somehow help the community, um, help Sean Porter because he has been doing an amazing work with Sacred Debris. Um, and get a little bit more involved in that community as well of the yeah. United States because it seems so far away sometimes like of course in a physical way and in a community way like like wow sometimes it's difficult to get relate for me it has been difficult to get relationships with people 
over the sea, but but of course there are a lot of factors as the language. So yeah. Well, just to give you a little bit of um, like behind the scenes information, and not to inflate your your ego potentially, but when when we were dealing with the the scholarship applications, you were one of the the early standouts because some of the things that we like to look for with scholars is is this person going to be uh, a leader of their community? Are they going to take this information that they get at conference or take the relationships that they that they create at conference and use it to better their communities once they go home? And we thought that you were going to be a, an ideal scholar for something like that because you seemed like you you don't want to just um, improve for just yourself. You, you seem like you want to help the people that you work with, the, the people that you know, your your friends, but also your your different communities that you really want all of them to, to get better. And I really respect that. I'm glad to hear that. Um, I'm, I'm really glad that I did the application as well, because I remember I I thought about going to the conference for for months. I mean, of course, for years, but being realistic for months. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'm going next year. I'm going next year. And then I was like, Charlie Ball, one of my... Um, of the pierces that work with me in London uh, have been a scholar. Um, she had been working as a volunteer for a lot of time. Um, she, ke- she kept telling me like, hey, why don't you try that? Why don't you do your application for the scholar? And I was like, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to do it properly or I'm not sure if I deserve it or, or something like that or if someone else will use it better. And I remember like the last couple of hours sending all everything <laughs> Um, it was a little bit stressful, like how, why do I decide to do these last time, last seconds, of course, but, but yeah. I'm I glad. think plenty of people, plenty of people also did that same thing. I, I think piercers tend to feel very confident in their own comfort zone, uh, in their own studios and with their, with their friends. But then when they think about conferences and maybe being judged on, on what they say or what they submit can be kind of intimidating. So I think it's it's normal for for some people to maybe uh, start their application early, but finish it at the last minute. Yeah, and it's not it's not a difficult process. It's just that you have to do it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and as well, I remember Caitlin sending me, yeah, I already have this letter. Thank you. We just need to wait for another a couple more of things and I sent her another thing and she told me, yeah, I already have this. It's like, Hey, she's kind of pushing me to do it. That's nice. Like, well, I guess it, everyone, everyone to be able to do it properly. Uh, so yeah, it, that was something really helpful. Like now there's people that want me or want us to do it. Yeah. It's because we, we can't, we can't create conference without, diversity you know we need to have people that are at diverse points in their career um, diverse thought processes and and all these things so you know we we want to get everybody's applications in and uh, I really don't want people to think that uh, that there is some sort of roadblock or not that they're that they won't be welcomed with with open arms so um, I, I certainly understand the intimidation factor and um, the, the difficulty of applying, but I, I would hope that in in future years, you know, scholars like yourself and and the other people who have uh, gotten the scholarship over the years, I hope that they can really be an, an inspiration to show that all you have to do is just be yourself. You know, we need you to submit a couple little pieces of paperwork, but just be yourself, and that that's really what we want to look for. Yeah, and as well, I mean, I have not been in the conference, and I have been already having some relationships with some of the scholars, mm-hmm. like talking like, hey, I saw that you are doing the scholarship. Oh, yeah, I'm doing it as well. Yeah, thank you. Nice work, blah, blah, blah. So um, that happened already with a couple of persons. So I'm really happy about it. And it did not even start it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's definitely a community of itself, the the scholar, the scholars. Um, so I think if you can if you can establish yourself as, as part of that, you know, you're one of the scholars, whether you're at conference or not, I think it is still very much like a, a little family, a little community. And I think everybody's really happy to keep each other inspired and keep each other motivated. Yeah. It's like a little cult in today. <laughs> it absolutely is a cult. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what are you, what are you feeling, uh, piercing in London? Like, how has that been for you? Um, so I have been three years here. I have been in, Four, three or four studios, and everyone was really happy. I have been really happy. I, like I was telling you before, I came 
with a really terrible English. Um, and it was a little bit of a one day decision. Uh, a friend, Brio, told me, hey, I'm moving to another shop. I was in Spain and he told me, do you want to try to get the job? And I was like, yes. So I took a plane for the next day or something like that. I went to do my, did my interview and I came back. <laughs> two weeks after they told me, hey, do you want to come to work here? And I said, yes. So in, in two weeks time, I changed my whole life really quickly. Wow. Um, so I did not really have time to really think about it. I just said, you know, I'm doing it and I'm doing it now. Um, so at the beginning it was difficult to be alone by myself and all that, but the community, not the community of piercers, but because I was not getting really relationship with anyone, but the people in the shop was really nice in London piercing clinic. Um, and as well, because the history of that shop, it was something that really put me like, I want to be part of this. And then I went to a couple of shops and I ended up in Maria Tash with such a, an amazing and massive team. We are nine piercers right now in the shop. Wow. Um, and being able to learn with from people like Charlie, Peter or Kevin that have been doing piercings for, for I mean, they have piercings that are older than me. So, <laughs> so it's, it's really nice. And each of us have like different techniques and all that so we get to be able to speak the whole day of piercings and and that's lovely for me i guess at some point i will be tired of that but i love it i love to to bother my co-workers asking them questions about what needles they use for what or all that um and uh, since i have been since i came a couple more friends that are piercers uh, have been coming um, Edu Fernandez, Cerezade, Sara. Um, so we have a tiny community really close, and like that we live really close to each other. So we are like, I don't know, like five piercers living in in a space of 50 meters. <laughs> we are neighborhood. So, so I get to see them and to talk with them a lot and all that. So that has been really great to have my little community into this massive city. I just want to leave work and stop speaking English for a little bit. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I really respect a lot of different piercers who move for their career and especially the ones who have to uh, work on language skills because I'm, I, you know, as an American, I have very weak language skills and I've, I've tried, but I'm not immersed in uh, another language. So I, I have a really difficult time trying to, to learn uh, other languages conversationally, so I, I really respect that you that you worked on your English so much because I I, I just can't I, I have not done a good job of trying to learn Spanish. Yeah, I mean, definitely being in London, it's it's a really nice place to learn, but a little, uh, because there are people from so many communities, and sometimes I find that it's easiest for me to talk with people that are not English natives. Which uh, mm -hmm. I don't know how to explain it. Um, yeah, natural na native speakers. I, yeah, I get what you mean. Um, because we get the same fails and mistakes and all that. So, <laughs> and being London such a multicultural place, it has been really easy. It has been difficult as well because you get to meet a lot of people from other countries, um, from South America and Spain. So you don't really speak sometimes as much English as you should. Like in the shop, I think we are like we are a team of I don't know. 20 persons and half of us are Spanish speakers. <laughs> so <laughs> it gets a little bit weighted sometimes in the shop floor. But um, but yeah, it has been definitely a nice place to be for me to learn English. Yeah, that sounds like a, a nice community. Uh, and I, when I was in London a, a few months back doing the the My Africa event, it was nice to to see you there. And knowing yeah. you, knowing you a little bit more now, where you're kind of more focused on anthropology and, and history and stuff like that, what was that? What was that event like for you? Seeing that documentation, yeah, um, it was amazing. Being honest, I mean, don't want you to give you flowers or something like that, you know. But um, it was really nice because I always. I have been in love with this clarification since I have been really young. And when I was in Spain, um, I guess like a lot of piercers that start doing piercings, they're like, oh, next level is body modification and all that. So I was really into that a few years ago. Um, and I have a few scars and I have them a few. 
Uh, so when I came to London, I was like, I'm going to focus myself into piercings and that's it. I don't want to step into anyone or not being able to deal with situations that I might be able to deal in Spain easily. Um, but when you released that event, I was like, yeah, let's go. Let's see what's going on. And it was really nice because I think we all forget sometimes how important this can be. And not just historically talking, because of course it have a lot of history, but about the meaning that the people give to these clarifications. Mm. There were three really nice points: beautification. Um, what what were the other two? Beautification, uh, beautification ritual, and a healing or something like that, or community or healing something. Yeah, and it was really incredible to see people that are not part of the body modification community talking about their scarifications. It's not something that I, I live in South Brixton, in South London. Um, there are a lot of communities, African communities with scarifications. Um, I always try to like, like, let's try to talk with these people, ask them, but then it's like, maybe they don't want to talk about it, you know? And it's a little bit weird if a guy with tattoos in the face and all that come to you a, like in the street, like, hey, I like your scars. Tell me a little bit about it. Right. So it's a little bit unknown. Like, why does these people have this scarification? What is the meaning of it? Um, um, it was really nice to see all these people from different countries talking about their experiences. And I think I was a little bit, there is always this thing with the cultural appropriation um, going on. Um, and somehow I can understand it. So I thought it was going to be a little bit of a tense situation there. Mm. Like, you and the pierces that were there with the scarifications talking with people that really approach this in a different way than what we approach it. I thought it was going to be a little bit of an awkward situation, but I remember being there and people telling me, hey, how are you liking it? And how are you feeling? And do you like this photo? And random people asking me about how I felt about it. It was really, really nice. Hmm. Yeah, uh, there was no judgment, no judgment at all uh, for, from, from either side. The, the, the people that went to witness the exhibition, if they had never seen tribal marking, scarification, body modification, um, even they weren't judging. You know, They were looking at it with an open mind, which I thought was just incredible. Yeah, and I guess it was somehow difficult for you as well to bring this way of approaching the scarification. Uh, but I think everyone was, yeah, really open to listen and really open to to understand what is going on. And I think they are move, they are moving the exhibition to states or something like that. I I hope so. I'm I'm sure now with all the difficulties, it's it's going to be probably on pause. But I w I would love to see it in the U.S. Yeah, definitely. Everybody there was just really um was really welcoming. I had the same concerns. Uh, you know, Lola was helping me prepare for it, and uh, she she saw me being very nervous uh, because I was worried about you know what if they what if they do see it as cultural appropriation or disrespectful in some way, uh, and it, it really couldn't have been further from from the truth. Everybody was really open minded; uh, they were just sharing their information, and it it almost felt like you know their motivations were so different, and and my motivations were so different, but they they weren't judging it at all. They just looked at it as. Um, something that could be beautiful and, and positive and just like I was looking at what they had as something beautiful and positive because they were really looking at it as a source of identity um, not so much just expression but like I identity and uh, for body modification it's a lot more about um, expression so it really did change my perspective and like widened my perspective yeah um, and it was really shocking as well for me like being able to see all these people from, I don't know if cathedratic, um, from um, a professional study, how do you say it? Um, like university professors, um, people that work properly into serious life. I don't know how to say it. Let me think about it. Uh, yeah. Academics. Academics, yeah. Yes. It was really nice to see people from an academic atmosphere. Um, I don't know, for example, sitting next to me, you know, talking about all these things in a different way that I tend to approach it. Um, and it was really shocking as well, see what this can mean for some people. Um, a woman that really got me, I, I don't remember her name, but she had glasses and she had scarifications all around her body when she was a kid. And she wants to remove them now, she's trying to remove them, but she's still having this 
love-hate feeling about it. Like, I want to keep them because it's part of me, but I don't want to keep them because nobody asked me if I wanted this. So it was, mm. a, I remember going home with Idu and thinking like, shit, this is some deep, weird thing. Like, wow, I'm doing this because I want plot and all that. And these people is, is looking at it from a different perspective that I never thought about it. Yeah, it, it really did. Uh, it really did change my my way of thinking and it was really cool to see those people i remember when they had the documentary and the the opening scene of the documentary was um a, a baby basically being marked and the the crowd just kind of went like ooh, and then a few a few people that had marks from from uh from africa just said like oh it's not such a big deal i have these little these little marks on my face it's not such a big deal and just seeing like how their their culture interpreted it and and maybe through the lens of like western culture people look at it differently but just being able to see all those different perspectives in in one space and being able to to share their thoughts and feelings on it was uh it was a really powerful weekend for me yeah no and i guess it was really terrible for you as well <laughs> you yeah trouble you you did the trip like with in three days yeah 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 it uh yeah it, it was kind of last minute in in a way where it was supposed to be one weekend and then I got shifted to another weekend and then I, I came out there and um, I was really nervous because I didn't know what to expect and then I was just immersed in it for the weekend and it was a it was a fantastic experience um, but it, there were definitely some some emotional moments yes so um, for uh, again for the people that are that are interested in in seeing all the work that you've been doing your your documentation your podcasts maybe your translations uh, where where can they find that stuff online? So, um, well, the translations of the books, you can find it in the website Sacred Debris. They have um, like a um, shop there. Um, so, yeah, you can find the translation and you can ship it from Europe or from the States. Um, from, about the podcast, you can find it in all the platforms. It's called Needle Vision. Um, I'm trying to do some work, um, taking some photos of old magazines and all that in the Instagram education, educational piercings. Um, and then I'm, I'm publishing the podcast things as well there. And yeah, my Instagram is Nawel underscore beta underscore body mode. And that's it really. I don't know. Okay. All right. Great. Well, um, I think we should, we should talk again in the future. And, uh, like, like I mentioned to you, I think it would be nice if you did, maybe a guest host episode and you can do maybe some in English, some in Spanish, whatever you prefer. I mean, uh, and I have a few persons that I want to talk, but they're English speakers. So I don't want to use it for my podcast. So it sure. might be a nice moment to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I would love to do whatever I can to, to share the, the work that you've been doing with, um, with any community I can. So Thank yeah, you. definitely come on, uh, come on the show sometime and, and do a, do a guest host. Hopefully next time we talk, it's, face-to-face <laughs> yeah well you know hopefully but uh if not you know i still am, am very excited to see you at at conference as a scholar so I'm, I'm really happy with the the choices that we made this year well thank you so much for inviting me to the show <laughs> <laughs> well thanks for talking to me i know that there were some technical issues like there there usually are but i appreciate your time oh no i being honest i have been having so much issues trying to record by myself with the, with the podcast now i finally understand how difficult and how a pain in the ass this can be yeah yeah it can be a little frustrating at times but it's totally worth it yeah well thank you so much ryan all right thank you and i'll talk to you soon all right, thanks for talking to me, Noel. I appreciate it. Uh, if you are uh, Spanish-speaking and you are interested in body piercing, go ahead and give his podcast, Needle Vision, a chance. It's a good one, well put together. I'm going to be doing a uh, free Ask Me Anything session with Lola Slider this Saturday. So it's not going to be a, a webinar. It won't be like a full PowerPoint-type presentation, but we're going to field uh, questions on a whole bunch of different subjects. Uh, there is uh, an event page uh, under Body Art Education by Ryan Willett on Facebook. So you can go there and you can get all the info about the session. It'll be free to the first uh, 100 attendees. That's the, the limit cap for our Zoom session. So uh, come on in and, and ask questions and let's talk about body piercing with with uh, myself and, and Lola Slider from the UKAPP. 
I am uh, still up in the air about when I will be able to go back to work. So maybe I'll look into offering uh, some some new webinars, some more uh, education online while we're all just kind of uh, waiting for when we can, can reopen. I'm part of a, a panel for uh, New Hampshire Body Art, and it's a little bit frustrating because it's like a, it's a bottom-up system. Like I'm a licensed professional, so are the other licensed professionals on our advisory panel. Uh, and we have no say and control in when our, our industry reopens. There's a governor's task force, but that's very much top-down. Uh, the governor's office, the public health for the state, not the health department that we're part of with uh, our, our uh, operation of professional licensure and certification. It's called the OPLC. Some of this is kind of like boring information, but I just like people to understand the structure. Our advisory panel is part of the OPLC, which is part of the health department. Uh, that is not the same thing as the public health division from the governor's office. So they're determining um, when certain industries should be allowed to reopen safely, when uh, close contact industries will be able to get back to it, when people can massage and tattoo, things like that where they're in contact with clients. There is no social distancing possible. So the, the state basically determines when they reopen. And then our panel, our job is really just to say, okay, once you tell us we can reopen, these are the measures that we should be taking once we're reopened. You know, we're recommending things like wear face masks, switch over to an appointment-only system, uh, try to do consultations more online rather than in person, try to do contactless payments, credit cards, things like that, rather than cash. That's really what we're supposed to do as the advisory panel. Uh, the, the governor's reopening task force, they're the ones picking when we can open. There's been this like really uncomfortable tension because there are all these different body artists in the state, tattooers and body piercers, who are angry and upset, frustrated that they haven't been told when they can go back to work, and they think that it's us picking that date. So we've been getting... Some negativity online, which is a bummer because, you know, we're just volunteers uh, in the same industry trying to figure out, like, how we can work safely when we're allowed to go back to work. We're not the ones picking the reopen date, but a lot of people are shouting at us and acting like we're the ones picking when they can go back to work. So uh, imagine that that might be a little bit frustrating. Uh, so I, I don't really have much else to talk about. You know, I just wanted to kind of get that off my chest. But, um, you know, I hope everyone is uh, doing well out there. I hope that if you are heading back to work, you're doing it as safely as possible. And uh, I'll be back next week with another interview for you. Thanks for listening. For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved.